Right, so uh, we're going to do a Q&A. Um, I've had some questions building up off Instagram for a while, so I'm going to try and knock these out now. <laughs> Firstly, um, you probably noticed I've got uh, a bit of a strange background here, so I'm trying something out here with this. I'm not sure I'm going to stick with it or not. If you guys are listening on the on the podcast rather than on YouTube, you'll notice uh, you won't see this, but I've put a my logo as a background, a sort of a virtual background. So we'll see how it goes. I think it's okay. Let me know if you're on YouTube. Let me know what you think of it. <laughs> All right. So first question is a really good one. It's like, what advice would you give to a beginner? So basic advice to a beginner. If we try and categorize this advice in two different ways, one, looking at diet. Second thing, looking at training. So firstly, with regards to diet is get comfortable in the kitchen. That's probably the best way I can word that. So I don't think you should be a, you don't have to be, you know, a Gordon Ramsay-esque chef, but you should be comfortable in the kitchen. So you should be able to follow some recipes, should be able to be comfortable in experimenting a little bit. So like a small macro change, like lower the amount of rice you have in your dish or increase the amount of vegetables shouldn't just throw you off into a panic, right? So you should be relatively comfortable in the gym, in the kitchen and have an ability to just work on the fly and just change things around. Basically, follow a recipe for one, and secondly, deviate from recipe if you need to. So get to the point where you're comfortable in the kitchen. I think that's primary goal number one. That should be very, very helpful. And it's very overlooked as well, because you're gonna have to eat this food for a, a while. And bodybuilders tend to eat a lot of food. Food's a major focus of getting the body that you want. So yeah, ensure you've, you're a half decent cook. So that's the first thing uh, with regards to diet. Um, so. That would be my advice to begin with regards to diet. I suppose if I was to add something else on top of that would be to get lean. Uh, I'm just thinking back to advice I would give myself. Like when I first started training, one of the first things I did learn how to do was to learn to cook. Second thing I wish I had done much, much early on would be to get lean. So rather than leave that to later, um, yeah, get lean. I did that relatively well, actually. Before I really started to lift heavy, I spent about three months just dropping a lot of fat. Um, I think I dropped, well, not three months longer than that, about a year dropping fat. I think I dropped about three stone that first year. And I was doing some lifting, but it wasn't really heavy, heavy barbell lifting. I was in a local community center just with some machines and mostly just jogging. Yes, I used to jog a lot uh, at 17. It's funny what you can do when you're young. <laughs> but um, anyway, lost about three stone and then I gained a hell of a lot of muscle after that in kind of a rebound. So that's good advice you know get lean give yourself some room to grow um, if you're super lean great you're one step ahead of everyone else you can just get to growing if you're super lean again just focus on being decent in the kitchen if you're fat um lose some fat first and then go from there all right next if we look at training so a couple of things with training firstly learn decent form in the big basic exercises so I categorize the big basics as the big five, okay? So some kind of squat or squatting movement. So it doesn't have to be a squat. Um, if you're not suited to a squat, then maybe something like a leg press, maybe something like a hack squat, maybe some sort of squat machine, which you can sit into, you can lock yourself in and you can really push yourself hard. And it doesn't have to be, you know, the squat. It can be something which you can load heavily and your quads are going to give out first. That's what you're looking for. 
it's a definition of a good exercise. It, it tires out the target muscle first. Okay. So like just on a side note, you know, squats on a BOSU ball are absolutely moronic, you know, because what's going to give out first is your stability. You know, that's the limiting factor. It's not your quads. So anyway, squatting would be the, or squatting or, or an equivalent movement would be the first thing I would learn. Second thing would be uh, a deadlift or equivalent movement. So any different type of deadlift it could be a regular deadlift from the floor, could be a rack deadlift from below the knees, it could be a stiff leg deadlift, could be a sumo deadlift. Um, if we move away from deadlifts, it could be something like a good morning, a back extension with weight, sort of weighted hyperextension. Um, what else have we got? Those are the main ones, really. Some kind of deadlift or good morning or hyperextension are really the main hip, hip hinges. So learn how to do one of them, or at least one of them, really, really well. I would recommend a deadlift, assuming you're healthy. But, um, you know, again, whatever you can do safely and load safely. And again, you've got to be able to load it. So there's no point, I can do this light. So there's no point saying, well, I can do lots of hyperextensions. Like, yeah, but can you actually load it properly? Not really. So it's got to be something where you can load properly. So that's the second category. So first category is squatting movements. Second category is deadlifting movements. Third category would be some sort of bench pressing type movement that you can do safely. So again, it doesn't have to be a regular bench. Could be a bench, could be an incline, could be dumbbell bench, could be dumbbell incline, could even be a weighted dip. That was my uh, movement that I really pushed when I was in my first year of really gaining. And I got that up to like two plates aside, two plates around my waist, 40 kilos for dips. And I chest my chest grew. And I wasn't a very good bencher when I first started. So um, something like that works very, very well. But just some sort of heavy chest pressing movement is what you need. Um, the next category would be uh, some kind of upper body pulling movement. So either chins, pull downs, or some kind of row. Like could be a barbell row, could be a dumbbell row, could be a machine row even. Some kind of heavy pulling movement for the upper body. And finally, we've got um, overhead pressing. So some sort of overhead press, again, could be barbells, dumbbells, machine, something consistently that you could do and load safely. So we've got five categories there. Squatting movements, deadlifting movements, chest pressing movements, upper body pulling movements, and overhead movements. So I would say ensure you can do at least one of those from every category. You can do it safely. You can load it up with weight. You can do it with a decent range of motion. And then the goal will be for the first two to three years to get ridiculously strong in all five of those movement patterns. If you can do that, that's that would do more for your bodybuilding success than pretty much any combination of sets, reps, um, new training routine, all that kind of crap. Like just put all that to one side and just get ridiculously, brutally strong in each of those five movement patterns on an exercise from each of those categories that you can do safely. So just to give you a practical example of what I mean by that, in my first five years of training, I got extremely strong on the deadlift. My deadlift of choice was a sumo deadlift. Also in the squat, got very, very strong on the squat. Um, I got decently strong on the bench press and dip. I would alternate those. With the squat, I should also say I use the leg press every now and again as well. Um, just switching movements in and out, ones that I could do safely. And then for the, uh, yeah, so for the chest, it was like um, dips or bench presses. Never did much of anything else. I only seem to remember going up to about 50 kilo dumbbells for the dumbbell bench press at the time. 
It wasn't exactly going heavy, um, but you know, the my main movements were flat bench press and dips. For upper body pulling, my main movements were chin-ups, weighted chin-ups with the palms medium grip facing towards me. They were very good for bicep growth as well. And uh, overhead pressing movements was just a seated high incline press. So those are my big, big movements. And that's the ones I got. I built most of my muscle on in the first sort of five years, just getting really strong on those. Now for you, your five might be different. But my point is, and I hope you guys understand this, it's not the specific exercise that is the the the, the it doesn't make that doesn't make a difference. What makes the difference is you pick one exercise from those categories, which you can do, and you can do heavy, and you do that. Okay, so that's really uh, the big thing. So, just to kind of summarize that, because um, that went on for a while, didn't it? She's that question. Summarize that advice for the beginner would be to get comfortable in the kitchen and get ridiculously strong in each of those five categories over the first, say, one to three years. You don't need much more than that. You will need to experiment a little bit with, um, you know, volume routines, how to put this together. But those are your big priorities. Now, I'd also say to to anybody listening out there who's um, who say you're say even you've been you say you've been in this for as for as much as ten years, you know, five years, ten years, and you're not at the point where you're reasonably strong. So let's say you, you've never done a three plate side bench press that is on your own pause at the chest and taken out by, unracked by yourself. You've never done a four plate aside squat to parallel. Uh, and when I say to parallel, you know what I mean, guys. Uh, and you've never done a five plate aside deadlifts, you know? If you've never gotten to those reasonable numbers, then your biggest priority should be to get bull strong in one or two exercises that you're suited to in each of those five categories. That's it. Like, even if you've been training for 10 years, even if you're sat there, you've been training for 10 years and you're a PT or whatever, and you think you know what you're doing. Like, if you haven't reached something close to those figures and you've been training however long, that advice still applies to you as well. Learn what you're doing in the kitchen and then get ridiculously strong in those five lifts. I mean, if you can, if you're currently benching two plates, you must imagine how much bigger your upper body is going to be when you're benching three. It's just that simple, you know? And I'm not saying you just, just do the bench press and nothing but, but the point is that should be a focus and that should be your tick box to say, did I improve these three months? Yes or no. Next three months, did I improve? Yes or no. Next three months, did I improve? After this year, did I improve? Well, you know what? If you're still benching two plates after a year, then after yet another year of training, then, well, you didn't improve. You can filter all your pictures on Instagram that you like, but, you know, bottom line is results, isn't it? So... But anyway, um, that would be my advice for a beginner. Okay, so next question is, how do you deal with social situations um, when it comes to eating? It's a good question. Very good question. Okay, I would deal with social situations in two different ways. Firstly, we've got to quantify um, how frequently are these social situations happening? Like, is this every lunchtime at work? If, that, if that's the case, then just say no, dude. Um, you know, you don't need to succumb to social situations every single day. Is that like a Friday night or a Saturday night with the boys or with the girls? Okay, you can work that in. Bottom line is results, right? So is that one night stopping you from getting your results across the week? Well, if you still want to have that one night, then just tighten up for the rest of the week. Simple. Okay, it doesn't have to be complicated. The, the, just look at it through the lens of the bottom line, which is results. So let's say you have a Friday night where you have a pizza, you have a chocolate bar. So let's say probably 1,500 calories. Okay, cool. Just tighten it up the rest of the week. 
you know if you really want that and that's what keeps you on track then great but but don't then turn around and go well yeah that's what's holding me back when the rest of the week you're also eating over your calories or at maintenance you know it's, that's not what's holding you back is it let's be honest here is it is it the you know once a week um blow out with your friends that's holding you back or is it the fact that the rest of your week you're not exactly on it either <laughs> so i think most people if they're honest with themselves one meal a night a week one meal a week is not really going to derail them but um it's the fact that that one meal a week leads to a demotivation which then derails them on sunday derails them on monday derails them on tuesday derails them on wednesday and they think to themselves they think of themselves when it comes around to the weekend again they go oh you know what that meal is going to derail me it's like yeah is it let's be honest here <laughs> you've not exactly been on the track all week so never mind getting out you know coming off the coming off the track um so yeah i'd say let's be honest with yourself with that if it's if it's every day and it's just you know you you're looking around at the um in the staff room or whatever and you want to eat whatever else is doing fine just can be an adult you know control yourself you made a commitment to yourself if it's a once a week blow up make it fit dude you know look at it with under look at it within the, the the lens of overall progress if over the course of the week you're still losing weight then you've done enough so just tighten up the other days now if you find that even after you've tightened up then and you're still losing you're still not losing weight because that once a week blowout is just undoing your progress then just be very pragmatic about it just be you know it's, it's just logical you have to cut down on it you know maybe a strategy for that is just have out what you're going to have so have out don't have a don't have a bunch of stuff in the cupboard and just have stuff as and when you need it lay out what you're going to have okay count it maybe it's going to be half a pizza maybe it's going to be one chocolate bar great have that on the desk or on your dining room table whatever the rest of it just don't have it out and limit yourself say this is what i'm having okay if it's like i don't know couple of glasses of wine, limit, limit it to what you're going to have. But what I'm saying is, if you're at that stage where you've already decided that your one sweet blowout is undoing your progress, you've tightened up across the rest of the week and it's still undoing your progress, then you're going to have to start tightening up on that one sweet blowout to get results. Bottom line, as I say, view it through the lens of results and be realistic with yourself. You just need to tighten, just tighten up a little bit. If you're not getting the results you want, rather than waste the whole week of dieting, just tighten it up. But I think the first thing is just to be honest with yourself. And I think most people can get away with a once a week blowout if assuming they're nice and strict on the rest of the days, that usually doesn't happen. The once week blowout is normally accompanied by the rest of the week being pretty lax as well. So that's how I would deal with social situations. But as I say, if it's very, very frequent, then just say, no, be an adult, you've you made a commitment to yourself. Next question is um okay it is lockdown in the uk and it's cold outside uh the, yeah well government's advice is not really helpful there um government advises you to exercise outside when it's um sub-zero temperatures it's slippy and, it's, and it gets dark early so it's not exactly safe this question was from a female as well so completely understandable don't really want to be outside um you know out and about in the dark i mean geez I, neither do i frankly you know you go through some areas you don't feel safe so i would say with regards to that focus on home workouts as much as you can get some walks in particularly if you're going to be working at home anyway try and get some walks in you know on, on a home lunch break or whatever um it's good to get out stretch your legs a little bit but i would recommend trying to get some kind of routine going at home now with that like 
all of my guys do have access to my home workout template. So I put together, I spent about two weeks during the first lockdown, frantically putting together home workout templates, which are suitable for people to use um, no matter what equipment they've got. So they're, they're modifiable. So you, they work from zero equipment, just body weight, right up to, you know, barbells, dumbbells, bands, all that kind of stuff. So all my guys have got access to those. If you want to work with me and have access to those so I can help you in the journey, then just get in touch. I have a couple of different ways you can work with me, either one-to-one or in my coaching group. Uh, coaching groups a lot more affordable if that's what you're worried about. So I do offer these options and they're they're there for, for everyone. The, the one-to-one option, you get more of me time um, and it costs a little bit more. And the um, coaching group, there's it's delivered en masse. I'm able to offer it cheaper. So... You know, if you want help in that regard, just get in touch. I mean, I'm, it frankly, it baffles me when, when people really want help and they've got the money they can afford it, but they just don't want to get in touch. I mean, you know, you've seen, you've all seen the results I get on Instagram. You know, my, I don't see anyone else in the local area getting results like that. So just get in touch. I can help. I've been through all this before, you know, so I, I can help. Um, so yeah, I would say with that advice, you know, get something you can do at home and get in touch, I, I can help. Uh, next thing is, this question was um, sugar substitutes. So how to deal with cravings? This is a really interesting question because this comes down, comes down to the psychology and physio- physiology of fat loss. And this is where I really specialize and, and why I've had so much success with my methods. Now, there's two ways to approach this. <laughs> the right way, the wrong way. <laughs> no, there's two ways to approach this. Like there's the first way is to have a little of what you fancy. And that is really what the diet industry is built on. You know, a lot of people on Instagram saying, just be flexible, have what you like. But that's certainly one strategy. <sighs> it's an interesting one though, because oftentimes for, there are certain group subsets of people and it seems to be a large amount of people, certainly that who I work with um, come to me, having a little of what they fancy just leads it to spirals, you know, just, just, it just compounds itself into just not being able to stop. So like half a Kit Kat bar leads into a full Kit Kat bar, which leads into a pack of four. It, and a little, or, or, you know, a little bit of sugar on one day, it just leads to cravings the next day and the next day and the next day and the next day. If we want to get really into this, I mean, I can talk to you about the food platability hypothesis, this idea that the, uh, the, the combination of sugar and fatty foods, and the more and more of them you have, the more and more of them you want. And it's, it's a whole big sort of evolutionary thing, which I can't really go into right now because it's quite detailed. But if you guys want me to talk about it, I'll talk about it um, in another podcast. Perhaps I'll do a full podcast on that. But essentially, the theory goes like this. Like if we come across a source of food, which is very high in sugar and high in fat, ergo high in energy, it seems to be a, a source of food which the body is drawn to and it wants more and more of it. It's very easy to overeat that for some people may well be because, you know, the body thinks, oh, I finally found a really, really good condensed source of energy. Maybe I should eat lots of this just in case there's going to be a famine or whatever. But either way, there's that. And there are other things like the protein leverage theory, which look at appetite as well. But basically, my point is this. There are some schools of thought which say if you have a craving, you should feed that craving, you know, and you should. And these are usually nutritional, like bodybuilding circles, which say have a craving, fulfill that craving, be kind to yourself, be nice to yourself. Now, I actually don't take that tactic at all. My tactics, my sort of um, approach is really entrenched in actual uh, human psychology, not 
nutrition. Nutrition is a very um, sketchy area. Let's let's just frankly say it's very very much um, entrenched in um, superstition and tradition. Um, the actual field of psychology is massive and it's far larger than the nutrition. And I was talking to Mene Henselman about this and he echoes the same thing as my approach as well. His idea is basically, if you have a craving, starve the craving. That's the quickest way to get rid of it, starve it. With, um, particularly with like sugar and fat, there are biological mechanisms in the body which make some people just want more of that food. Like I explained, this is the um, food platability hypothesis. For some people, and it seems to be, so a lot of people that I work with, the more they have of a particular food, and if it's sugary and fatty, that that dangerous combination of sugar and fat together, they just seem to want more of it. They can't switch it off. And um, it, that might not be as dramatic as a ravenous, i got to eat all this all the time, but it may just be like across the course of the week, they just want some sort of sugar and fatty foods every single day. Like I've spoken to people who literally are shocked when you even suggest them not having like a treat every day. Literally. And I, that's that might not seem particularly crazy to some of you out there, but then you've got, then that progresses on to people who must have those multiple times per day. And you, after a while, you know, you have to question, are you really on a diet at this stage, you know? And also you've got to question the person's willingness to actually engage in a diet at that point. So, and you know, if, if they're telling you on the one hand, look, they really want a diet, they really want to lose weight. On the other hand, they're telling you, well, I must have chocolate every night. You've got to then ask them, well, you know, this is starting to really look like addiction. You know, this is starting to look like quite um, addictive behavior. Like, you know, it, it's not really that funny. People laugh and joke about it, but is it really funny? You know, if you can't live one day without a piece of chocolate, I'd be worried if that was me. I mean, I, I, I personally wouldn't want to be that weak, but <laughs> maybe that's a little bit controversial to say. But uh, in any case, I'd say my way of dealing with sugar cravings is just not to give in to them. And you'd be surprised at how quickly you can wean yourself off things by starve a craving, you know, starve a craving. Don't just give into it. It's, I mean, the example that Menno gave uh, which on the podcast, which I really liked was if somebody's alcoholic, you don't just say to them on, you know, hey, have a little bit of alcohol on Saturday night. That'll keep you going. <laughs> you just don't have any alcohol. And to give an even more dramatic example, if somebody is addicted to like um, opiates or whatever, right? You don't say to them, here you go, have some heroin on a Saturday night just to tide you over. It's like, no, <laughs> there's no more heroin, dude. <laughs> you, know, you don't have it anymore. That's it. You're done. No more heroin. <laughs> so you don't just say to me, have a little bit of heroin just to tide you over. Be nice about it. Be nice to yourself. Like, no, just don't. Put the fucking heroin away, dude. <laughs> so um, yeah, um, I'd say with that, not comparing you know sugar cravings to heroin cravings or anything like that, but there is research to show that they activate the same sensors in the brain they activate the same parts of the brain the addiction uh, brain so the addiction side of the brain so that that research is out there so the connections there i'm not trying to say that sugar is as addictive as heroin or anything like that but you know there, there is a connection there with the whole reward system in the brain now it's not as strong as that for heroin you know some people argue it is i'm not sure i'd agree but it's there that's the point the connections there so yeah i would say with regards to dealing with sugar cravings you know, what's that phrase? You know, you can, you can, um, you know, I would, I would say I'm, I'm playing chess, not checkers on that one. You know, <laughs> I wouldn't give in to, I wouldn't play the game. I would say just get rid of the craving altogether. Just don't give into it. Be stronger than that. And maybe come back to it later. Maybe you and you've dropped 10% body fat when you've dropped 20 pounds, 30 pounds, 40 pounds, maybe you'll be ready to reintroduce those things. But for now, 
I'd say if you're struggling with sugar craving, you're not there yet. You need to wean yourself off. You need to be stronger than that, frankly. And you, you, there's no need to con consistently fight against your demons by having those things every day or every Saturday night. Just get rid of them for now, you know? It's what, six months of your life. Get rid of them. Come back to it later. When you've dropped 30, 40 pounds, come back to it then. See how you feel about chocolate then. You might feel much more um, like take it or leave it about it then. Anyway, the very last question is, what is your coaching philosophy? <laughs> this was an interesting question from a friend of mine, Tom. Um, my, I've come to realize over the years, probably related to my background as a school teacher, my, um, my coaching philosophy is that of education. I'm an educator. Um, I'm not a sort of woo-woo, shout in your ear, motivational um, hashtag, got to do what it takes, bro, uh, coach. I'm not, I'm not that. I don't want to be that. I, I, frankly, I find motivation to be the lowest form of coaching, you know, motivational coaches to be uh, a dime a dozen, you know, actual educational coaches, I think are far, far more valuable and um, far, far rarer because education is ultimately what's going to empower you to carry on fitness for a lifetime. You can motivate someone by high-fiving them, patting them on the back, jocking them on the ass for, you know, for maybe a month, maybe two months. But after that, they've really got to do things themselves. And it's no wonder that all of my clients, once, once they've reached their goals and perhaps when they've finished with me, they carry on staying lean. They carry on with all the habits that I've taught them because that's what online coaching is. It builds efficacy. That's what you need. You don't want, you know, you don't want to, motivation actually becomes a crutch. That's what, it becomes a crutch. If you have that motivation as you're changing your life, you're changing your lifestyle and you rely on that, then when it's taken away, you're not going to have the efficacy. You're not going to have the competency to actually do those things and carry on that lifestyle for yourself. Whereas with me, I provide the know-how, I provide the education, then it's up to you to do it. Now, ultimately, people might not think that's as, as valuable, but that's a very short-sighted view. It's actually far more valuable, far more powerful for me to give you the tools to enable you to change your own life. Then that means when I'm removed from the situation, you can carry on doing it. And that's more important. I don't want my clients to be completely dependent on me for results. That's not the point. I want independence. Ask any one of my clients, past or present. There is nothing that pleases me more than once you guys have reached your goals and then you fly the nest. <laughs> Every one of my clients has heard me use that phrase, fly the nest, because that I truly believe that. That's what I want. That's what I want for you guys is to have my education. Let me guide you to your goals. Let me let you teach you how to sit at those goals for a while and then away you go you know i mean it that model that is the model i've used since i very first started coaching i give everyone as much education as i can and that education is what's built my business um i don't string people on along i don't um have them rely on me for motivation and all that kind of stuff because it's bollocks at some point as i have said this to all my clients at some point at some point i'm not going to be there at some point, you're going to have to go on your own and you need to know how to do that. And so my coaching philosophy is one of empowerment. And that's not a bullshit buzzword. That's true. Uh, it, it, that's how I do it. I empower people by providing them with education, the know-how, how to do things themselves. That is my coaching philosophy. Right, folks, I am going to wrap, start to wrap this up. So... I guess this kind of is a nice segue into my the last sort of wrap up that I want to do, which is one, if you do want to work with me, go to my website, Fazlifts, 
www.duckcode.co.uk. Uh, all my social media will be um, listed alongside this podcast, wherever you're listening to as well. Uh, just contact me on social media. I handle all my social. So whether that's Instagram, Facebook, you know, whatever messages you want to send my way. Um, if you go to my website, there's a sign up form there, coaching form, just fill that in. I'll get in touch with you either email or call. I offer everybody a free phone consultation or Zoom, Skype conversation, whatever that they want for about sort of half an hour, just to kind of discuss working with me all on a free, no obligation basis. So yeah, and you know, for most of you, if you've not seen my body of work on Instagram, it's all there. Please do have a look. I've had some ridiculously good results over the last year. I'm really following my instinct on training and just breaking a lot of rules when it comes to what people quote unquote should do. Um, for diet so yeah please do not not trying to sound you know purposely controversial there but um i think well i have my views on the on the diet industry as it is i think there's a lot of people out there who are just uh who just don't know what they're doing frankly and who just kind of go along with the the sea of endless if it fits your macros flexible 500 calorie deficit eight thousand or ten thousand steps coaches <laughs> which all sounds like very safe and fine you know um, recommendations until you realize that, well, two thirds of the people in the country are overweight and a lot of that advice has failed them. Then you get someone like me who's consistently stripping off 60 to 70 pounds from guys um, over the last year and doing things very differently. And then you've got to start to question uh, the fact that, well, I must be onto something and I believe I am. So yeah, if you want to you know, lose fat, gain some muscle or just curious about working with me, then yeah, give me a shout, hit me up on social. Happy to have a chat with you and uh, we will take it from there. All right, cool. Thanks for listening, guys. Speak to you next time.